Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Raph. How are you? Well, that's you know you know you're not supposed to ask that question in like. Oh, yeah. uh, no, no, no. It's fine. As an opener. It's a it's a, like it's a very common question in uh, corporate culture for one on ones or at the beginning of a meeting. Yeah. But it's uh, there's a lot of studies that show that it's like it's not a really interesting question in terms of the insight it generates because uh, you know ninety percent of the time people say I'm okay or I'm good. Yeah. And there's but a it's very it's an icebreaker. It's it's just a form of politeness. Like the word hello doesn't mean much either. That's true. But yeah. what you're supposed to say instead, if you want to get like a little richer data back is yeah. how's life oh <laughs> uh, yeah we talked about that last episode yeah yeah, yeah. anyway I, I, yeah how's your <laughs> asshole yeah 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 so then i would say like well you know like i don't know if i'm saving enough for retirement <laughs> like <laughs> i'm worried yeah. about this economy so that's yeah. like a, it's broader in scope it's not less about me and more about my context yeah well it's weird because it Let's say you need directions and you run up to someone in the street and you just like the first thing you ask is like, what's the fastest way? Instead of going, excuse yeah. me, could do you speak English? Could I ask you a question? Like, yeah, technically, it's not necessary. Like you might be, let's say you're in an English speaking country and you're speaking English. You can assume the other one does too, etc. But it's just kind of nice when someone, I don't know, I think there's something about certain niceties. Well, like if I asked you what's wrong, you know, and you know that would kind of probably put you a little off base. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what my mom does whenever she greets me. She doesn't say how are you. She's like, what's wrong? <laughs> I saw some YouTube with someone from the UK, and they said one of the things about the UK is they say I'm sorry all the time. Well, they do that in Canada. It's a huge, huge joke. Yeah, like, so I guess you you're... guys took that from the British, but it's like, oh, sorry, sorry to bother. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah, even if I and held the door open for you, I would say I was sorry. Yeah, but it's funny because it, it uh, things lose their meaning when you say them too often. If you just use it for every moment, if you say I'm sorry for every moment, it doesn't. You're not really sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think actually they lose their meaning, but they also embed themselves in culture and change the way people behave. So, you know, Canadians are known as being more conservative, but out of fear of offense uh, or offending others, um, sometimes they don't. You know make decisions they just apologize what is that for fear existence. of offending where do you where does can you explain it as a, someone who's well, i'm saying because we open doors and say i'm sorry like you know there's an apology for existing in canada that yeah exists. yeah but is it is it something you genuinely feel yeah yeah for sure but and and do you notice that people from other countries don't feel it yeah i think americans it's like really stark when you travel to the u.s like or if you travel to um yeah over some of the over more overconfident countries you, you know and it's not true of everyone obviously as a stereotype but like the the stereotype of a new yorker which you very real you know quickly realize is not so much a stereotype if you just like walk <laughs> in the street is of like pushing people out of the way and kind yeah, of like yeah, you know yeah, yeah. hey i got somewhere to be i remember uh, going to japan for three months on a residency and coming back to the netherlands and the culture shock back was bigger than the culture shock going to japan because it's Wow, these are barbarians. Anyone who's in the way, they just physically push aside. Hey, don't make those assumptions about barbarians. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's not nice. Barbarians were very well, very courteous people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It'd be funny if it turns out in history that that was all wrong and barbarians were the most polite and elegant people. Yeah. Yeah, there's that show Norseman. I don't know if you've watched it. Um, It kind of plays with that. I don't watch shows. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. You're like, definitely... 
<laughs> I don't watch shows. I don't watch TV. The common like artist retort. Um, I watch. I, I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube stupid stuff, but uh, I, I find the shows. Uh, I, as a kid, I watched a lot of TV. I'm not above watching TV, but I found it mm. got so formulaic that it's it's like watching reruns all the time. It's funny from you know we've talked about McDonald's and stuff on on the podcast yeah. before, but in some contexts you crave consistency, and then others you reject it violently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no I, I, but um, I'm trying to think. Like I like product review movies on YouTube. Anything mm-hmm. and those are very predictable too, but somehow I enjoy them. I, I think you it, just invented a new genre of cinema, though product reviews. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I watch the same thing. I mean, it is actually a new genre. Whether we call it cinema or not is just a matter of pretension. But like, I watch Dave Lee's channel, you know, um, yeah, or Unbox like Therapy yeah. or stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so weird. Um, yeah, well, do you want to do a mini review of your Tesla? We we spoke about the charging and the Wi-Fi, but how is the driving? Okay, yeah. Before we get into, so sorry, just so our listeners know who haven't tuned in for a while, we do have a new format, and it's not reviewing Teslas, <laughs> but it is uh, it is helping uh, our audience out um, by um, answering their questions as as well as we can, or as terribly as we might. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, but we always, we've, we've never changed the first part of this podcast, which is a rambling, <laughs> agendaless, creative mashup of, Yeah, it's hey, the what's equivalent of how are you. Yeah. yeah, it's like how's life. So yeah. in the how's life category, yeah, I bought myself this, this Great car. question, Jeremy, great question. Now, Thank actually, I think, I just want to get out there. There's an article in the New York Times that came out this week that showed the most economical decision is buying an electric car. Like, it's cheaper, lasts longer. Then, like, so, like, a Tesla is equivalent in this article, anyway, to a Nissan Altima, and that made me mm. feel a lot less elitist. The only <laughs> thing, my, my my natural assumption of of the Tesla is that it's the equivalent to an iPhone that you want the new one every year, and the battery gets old, and it has yeah. that gadget feel. Oh, it definitely does. Like, so I drove. I did my first road trip yesterday. I drove up to, you know, up north. To, my sister just bought a little cabin in the woods. And it's like a two hour, two and a half hour uh, trip. So like almost, you know, four to five hours round trip. And I felt range anxiety kind of for the first time because it was Mm. like, you'll be back with only 8% power. But in the cold, (laughs) the battery doesn't last as long. And so you're like, well, what if it's not 8%? What if it's 0%? What am I going to do? Uh, All I did is I stopped at a supercharger and I like kind of topped up for 10 minutes while I, I popped in and got some groceries. But so the anxiety wasn't really necessary, but it's still on that edge of like. But uh, do you, you think that in two longer. years that the next Tesla will be so much better that you're going to trade this in? Well, they always say don't look at, don't try and predict the future. Just look at what's available in the present, you know, kind of, and that'll be available for a cheaper price. And right now they have like 500, 600 mile electric cars available, right? The Tesla Model S, like the more premium versions. So those yeah. will come down, that, that range will come down market. Yeah, and yeah. it kind of, I think it's over, you know, honestly, like the idea of driving a gas powered car. By the way, so, so far this month, I filled the car up a few times. I've spent $3.30 on, on electricity. How's the experience of driving? It's amazing. It's great. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really fast, really smooth, yeah. really easy. There's yeah, auto, it, the autopilot thing's actually a revelation. Okay, yeah, I'm waiting for the cars to drive themselves because I can't drive. So it mostly does drive itself in the free. Ver- every car comes with this free thing called autopilot, and it has lane centering. Um, but it also like you can use it on city streets. So 
it doesn't turn the wheel, which I, is coming soon, quote unquote, but who cares? Like, I don't want it to actually turn the wheel in city traffic. That's terrifying. Um, but if you're just doing like a little road trip, it's mostly driving itself the whole way. And so it, t- it, it gives you a beep to turn right or turn left. And yeah, sure. There's navigation. Yeah. Yeah. But like most of the time you're on the highway, you just want to, it's just got, you know, are you pressing the gas pedal or the brake? Right. So it handles and are you staying in lane? So it does all that for you. And is there anything you, you prefer of gas powered cars? Um, hmm, what do you prefer? Well, I think it's just the availability of uh, refueling. Like, you know, I went by one uh, Tesla supercharger and in the same time I went by like a hundred gas stations. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so the, the gas station yeah. thing, but probably I think we take the for food granted. At, the, at the supercharger station is a little better than at the gas stations. They just put superchargers like near McDonald's or near oh, Wal- okay. Walmart or like near a grocery store. So they just kind of place them. Yeah, they don't. They don't actually have cafes that like Tesla branded. I think that would be a disaster actually because <laughs> they're not in the food business. <laughs> Amazon Go stores, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Amazon has expanded that way. I mean, maybe they could, but they'd have to do a really good job of it to compete against the world's offerings. So. Yeah, anyway, I, I have nothing to complain about yet, except okay. that it is like you're, if you fill up your car with gas, you're used to it lasting maybe a little longer than if you fill up with electricity. So, you know, if you're charging at home, it's not a big deal, but I think... But the battery like, fatigue, is that a real thing? Like, after two years, the battery has less capacity? Yeah, they've shown it's like like a max situation of like 5 to 10%, and the 10% would be the worst case if you just did not use the battery properly at all, but it's almost impossible to do that. Okay. Because um, so, with phone yeah. batteries, after three years, it's definitely not the same battery anymore. The battery is insured for, uh, for like, what is it? They said um, half a million miles or something, like more than any car I've ever owned. So I, I'm not really, okay. yeah. really worried about that part. What I'm worried about is like actually what you mentioned earlier, which is like next year's model is going to be way better. And they actually, because they release um, improvements continuously. Like since yeah. I bought my car, there's now a heated steering wheel version for the same price. And I'm like, no, I want the heated steering wheel, right? It's like, I want the telephoto lens or whatever. Same price. I just, yeah. Well, the good thing you is wait. you make a lot of money so you could just get the new one. No, no, I don't make a, a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I make a, honestly, like I said, it's a cost effective toy. <laughs> But they were saying in this article, actually, I'm it's waiting a tax. for you to accept the the financial state you're in. The up the upfront cost is higher, which means it's actually a tax on the no, poor in some way. I'm, I'm just waiting for you to mentally accept. <laughs> I think you still think you're a student. I, yeah, I still feel like I'm a student. I'm scrimping here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm sleeping on a goddamn futon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not though. Um, um, okay, I'm so listener question. We have a shall, great listener question. Shall we a have good, a listen? Well, well, first I want to intro. It's from a friend of mine, but someone I also deeply respect. His name's John Hampton. And actually, he's a curator, executive director, and CEO now of the Mackenzie Art Gallery in Canada. But he's also the first um, Indigenous person to fill this role at a public art gallery in Canada. So he's like historically significant. <laughs> Not to like hype him up too much, but I'm so proud of John. And I also think uh, his question is like a modest question, given how I just hyped him up, but it's a really important one. So let's, well, it's yeah, a let's universal go, question. I, I think uh, anyone that in any walk of life applies to. Yeah, let's give it a listen. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. In your new format of Good Point with practical how-to advice, I thought you could maybe give me your thoughts on meetings 
because at our gallery, we're trying to rethink meeting so that we don't spend quite so much time uh, meeting and planning and we can spend more time doing. But we want to keep that uh, creative collaborative spirit alive, keep people informed about what each other are doing, and try to still honor that interdependent nature of an organization where all of our work impacts each other. Uh, and I thought that uh, you both might have some pretty interesting and probably very different uh, ideas about how people work together in that type of a collaborative space. Uh, thanks for keeping the podcast going and looking forward to uh, this next journey. Okay, that was the question. Yes. Yeah. Okay, what, what are we going to do with this one? So I, my first thought when I heard this question was like, do will Raph have anything to say? Because I'm in thousands of meetings. Yeah, or, you know. exactly. And, yeah, and, so. I, I, thought, I thought that uh, a lot of the user questions will be like, how do you do a to-do list? And my answer is always like, well, make sure there's nothing on the to-do list. And then, <laughs> but I don't so want to first be thing would be too, like no meetings. Yeah, I don't want to be too esoteric uh, because also last episode I didn't give a lot of practical tips, but I do use the Apple Notes app, and I like that it is the default and it syncs with the desktop. And then I just have a bunch of items there, and I like to just start on one task until it's done. And the Apple Notes app is by far like the um, the unheralded star of Mac operating systems. Yeah. Like, and, the and the other useful. thing I wanted to mention is that uh, using lists is really uh, important to me psychologically to not feel overwhelmed because you think you have so much to do, but when you write it down, it's like, oh, that's actually not that bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I, just to recap last episode, and one more thing I wanted to say is that there's always one or two items on the to-do list that seem the most dreadful and it seemed like the hardest. And it's best to get those out of the way first because it turns out, oh, you can do it pretty fast and then get to the fun stuff. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So how does that intersect with meetings or like, do you have meetings? Well, I mean, first of all, studio visit, isn't that a meeting? Yeah, I, I hardly have studio visits. I never mm-hmm. had, I, I always get, and maybe I should have more studio visits. Maybe that's a... Uh, maybe I'm not good at that, but it, I just, whenever people want to work with me, they send me an email and then say, this is the, the project, this is the exhibition, or do you want to do a mm-hmm. talk? It's it's very rare that people say, can we do a studio visit? Because I guess I mm. have the reputation of not having a studio, so. But yeah. would you get on the phone with them or a video call? Would you discuss it? Yeah, well, it, I if someone emails me out of the blue and I don't know them and they just they're kind of vague. I say, could you elaborate a little further and then schedule a call? Because I don't want to schedule a call if I already know. Mm. So I'm, I'm frugal with my time in that sense. No, no, like, yeah, I think I, you're, 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 you're heading in, into territory that's like Bezos territory, which is like you'd prefer the pre-read, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's a need but for I, a meeting, you'll call it. I mean, it's, it's very simple. Someone says like, hey, we're organizing a group show. Then the first thing I want to know is, which other artists are you inviting? Because I, I want to know if I feel like my work makes sense in that group of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, then, oh, sorry. I, I, I'm pretty direct, and I try to answer as quick as possible. And I think being direct is more polite than being polite. 
What I think is interesting in relationship to John's question is like, you don't exist in a collaborative environment in that definition. But at at some point, you arrive on scene for the show or the exhibition. Uh, But but the more regular regular meetings is with, uh, I work with several galleries, and I work with a programmer, and I work with a textile manufacturer. And all those things are a combination of email and texting and phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it, for example, with my program, I've been working together for 20 plus years and I'll have a sketch and I'll send them the sketch and I say, oh, take a look at this. I'm thinking of a, a movement in the direction of this arrow and it, it made a storyboard and shall we talk on the phone sometime? And then he just sends me a message whenever he's available and we, we talk for 15 minutes. And mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, a meeting, right? I was yeah, but I, like, I, 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 there's two kinds of meetings. It's like the people I speak to regularly, where it's more like you text each other, are you available now? Mm-hmm. And then there's a bit more formal where they schedule a calendar invite and then you set it up and you have to remember to be available at that time. And it's a yeah. bit more... I, I find that already, the fact that the meeting is on the calendar is already adds stress because then I'm like, my day <laughs> is divided by an exterior factor. and Yeah, yeah, yeah it's funny because... I was trying to figure out where that line is drawn because for my art meetings now, and actually I had an art meeting this week that was scheduled and the person just didn't show up. And I have no, I actually was like kind of relieved in a way. Cause I was like, well, I don't know if we really needed the meeting. I could just, so I just sent them an email with an update on where I'm at. Um, but I, you know, I use a product called Calendly. Uh, for yeah. That's pretty my good. Meetings. Yeah. Some people and I work so, with use that. So people can choose. <clears throat> it's a tool that allows people to choose the time you're available. But the only reason I use that is because my calendar is so full of these like. So if I was to look at this, my schedule for 2022, I could tell you exactly what <laughs> it looks like within 80 percent because there's so many standing meetings. And a lot of people in corporate culture get caught in this like yeah. quagmire of what are called standing meetings. So they're meetings that are pre-booked and recurring mm-hmm. And so they just sit there on your calendar and they kind of, they can suffocate you because you're, well, you're, you're fitting your work into yeah. 30 minute slots here and there. I, I think that as, as far as to do tips, I always want to go a few steps before you get to whatever's the best calendar tool. And like that's No, the, I didn't mean to start there, but it was no, just No, no, like, no. But, but just as a general way of how I would look at things is uh, the first step is why do you have a day job? And then <laughs> you go really far back, yeah. Yeah, but but it, it's funny because we're talking about the Tesla and all these things, and you seem on the one end to be a person like I have two pairs of jeans and that's enough, and I don't care about things. And it's at the other end of the spectrum, your whole calendar for two years is full. So it's it's a funny dichotomy where you don't care about money, but you're doing everything you can to make money. Yeah, yeah, those jeans are expensive, but <laughs> I, hear what you're, I definitely hear what you're saying. Yeah. I would say that some people really, I don't think just because you have meetings doesn't mean that you don't enjoy the your the work or you haven't enjoyed your work. And so I think well, what, it's, we're, it's what a, we're getting at I here is... I think it's a good question because everyone I know loves their work, but they hate the inefficiencies of meetings and it getting in the way of doing the work. Okay, but this is where I wanted to draw a line that's actually pretty still far up the ladder, which is like there's a difference between types of meetings. There are creative meetings and there are kind of update meetings. Um, Or you could delineate on a spectrum between pure creativity, which is a collaborative meeting. You could even call it a workshop sometimes. And a pure update meeting, which is like, you know, an all hands event or some event or some meeting where 
it goes around the horn, quote unquote, and people are like, I did this and that. And it sometimes feels like self-promotional or need to know information. It's like and a, a lot TED of times talk like, within a company. But also it's like, did I really need to know that? Yeah, exactly. TED talk. And, and, and sometimes that comes to life as a, like an all hands or all staff meeting. And those ones are the ones people kind of groan about the most because they're sitting there like, you know, in the audience. And but it's, it's the very hierarchical. One is large. speaking and the other is yeah. listening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's, yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Like from most collaborative to least collaborative. And the least collaborative meetings are often cited as the least valuable to people, which is ironic because the people speaking think they're the most valuable, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm wearing my best suit. This is an important <laughs> But I don't want to like discount that they're, they're both important at different times for different reasons. But I think a lot of artists do have creative meetings. And then, but then when push comes to shove, or if you've worked in a, in a group, and, even, and this would be true in a gallery, this would be true in a collective, or in an exhibition scenario, you get closer and closer to that update meeting as the complexity of the project increases and people are kind of doing their own thing and their own stream. And so they, you know, the, the worry or concern becomes, um, I'm either blocked by someone else's actions, like so-and-so is working on this and I don't know if it's ready or not for me to be here. So you've got like these multiple streams, um, or you, you need awareness of what other people are working on because it might impact what you're working on. Well, actually, I guess it's both the same, right? So this awareness thing kind of leaks in. And alignment is another word that people start to use. I want to make sure we're aligned and we're all aware. And this yeah. kind of becomes part of the language of we're not wasting time on working on the wrong things. And as the complexity of an organization increases, that anxiety also increases. Yeah. So, I, meetings get I, called. I, I think a lot of people think the bigger a company is, the more successful it is. Like, oh, how big is your company? How many people <laughs> yeah. work there? Well, it's a, it's a direct line to revenue, that's why, because you can't afford to have a lot of people otherwise. It's like a Tesla. Yeah, but you can also think <laughs> of, of, of Instagram at the point when it was sold to Facebook, I think, for a billion, and there was 11 people working there. Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty impressive. But Yeah, I know. There was 12, 12 people at Instagram or 11 people when they sold. And it was yeah, yeah the highest value per employee ratio, I think. Yeah, ever. so I, I would prefer that model. I'm sure. So what I'm trying to say is uh, less people is less meetings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, too. Like the complexity comes from work streams and people in individual work streams. But eventually what's ironic is you hired these people to make things go faster because the scenario I'm in even at work quite often is like, okay, well, like if only we had one more person, we could go yeah, yeah. You know, 25% faster, 10% faster, someone whatever can do it is. a bit more sales. Someone can streamline the CRM. Someone yeah. Can, but yeah. then the irony is then you're like everyone's spending all their time, you know, trying not to <laughs> get in the way of others or to align themselves yeah, with yeah. others that they have no time to work. And so productivity actually dives. And there's yeah, a lot of famous examples in, of in software development, right? It's not like just throw more developers at it and it'll be done quicker. Yeah. So, you know, in, in software companies, there's a lot, there's famous cases of like meeting, you know, companies canceling all meetings and not allowing meetings. There's at Shopify, they do this thing where they automatically cancel all recurring meetings once per quarter. So that's once every three months. Um, and then, at, you know, with the idea that sometimes people just keep these recurring meetings because they're there. And yeah, so, so it's, it's like a fresh install of the OS. Yeah, they reinstall the OS every time. And, and that's why yeah. I said, like, my 2022 is in trouble because the fresh install, like, I need a fresh install. Like, And I often go yeah. through this grooming, but... I'm there again. I just got a new computer and I did a fresh install instead of a migration. 
Yeah. And I had to install Skype, and it really hurt my heart. It's like, oh, this software is terrible. And, but why do I need it? And, <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Why do I need it? That yeah. I think is the most important question. So, and I don't know if you've ever heard of like um, what's most important to a meeting, but I like to use Oprah's. Have you ever heard Oprah's like uh, kind of line on this? No. So she, Oprah, <laughs> I read this like like forever ago in some like headline somewhere, but I, it stuck with me, which is like Oprah has like three, you know, three or one one line that she uses at the at the beginning of every meeting, and it's what is our intention for this meeting? What's important? What matters? But it's, I think of it as the Raphael Rosendahl <laughs> kind of thing yeah. too, where it's just like why are we having this meeting? Right? If yeah, there's no yeah, purpose. Yeah. You but know, the, it is it is interesting. I want to bring it back to art because we're now at the level of organizations oh, yeah. over 500 people. Yeah. But when you think think of the classic artist that makes stuff in the studio by themselves, doesn't need a lot of help, but then you want to let the world know. And so maybe for the artist, the meeting is the social life around the art world. Um, and if you don't Ooh. do any of those meetings, no one knows what you're doing. There's there's the the dream now that you could just show your work on the internet and everything will work out, mm-hmm. but you could see openings and all these things. Do you see them as meetings or are they in 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 corporate speak that's networking? I honestly think like you're closer. You're probably running really great meetings and you don't even know it. Like, and I want to use an example from your life of like you often tell me you're going to the Netherlands and I'm like, why are you going there? And you'll be like, I have a meeting with my producer of the textile or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, why do you have to meet with them?" And then you'll be like, "Because we're trying to get this specific decision made about whether we go with this thread count or this weave." Yeah. Yeah. And in doing so, you've actually articulated the purpose, the agenda, well, I have a distributed studio. So when yeah. I go there, that's my part-time studio. But you're very precise about the reason and the agenda and well, also yeah. The I, limits I think of that's that a good point because I've heard from a lot of artists when they hire an assistant, you, you might be busy for the next three months and then you yeah. don't have that much to do and you have to invent stuff for them to do. And I work with a programmer and different manufacturers, but it's all freelance. So what I mean is I have to pay three to 500 a day to be at that textile place. Yeah. So, of course, I want to know what the meeting is about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you had to fly there. <laughs> I'm not going that- there to sign a birthday card. So, uh, I can't afford to. But the, I think that's the difference between hiring people or having freelancers and, uh, and being uh, t- but, tight on money. But that's, the th- that's why I think in corporate culture or in cultures where there are staff meetings, things can devolve very quickly because it seems like it's free. And so, no one puts in the work yeah. to make it an important or that's valuable why, meeting. Yeah, it, it, Money is, I think we're both kind of frugal and that you would walk an extra block if the coffee is a dollar less. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah, I mean, if it was good coffee too, I'd be looking at the ratings, reviews versus Yeah, yeah, but you, you, would, you would walk a little extra to save a little money or like sure. whatever. But then when it comes to corporate world, you're like, yeah, let's get some more people in the meeting and they each cost 500 a day, but you don't even think of the amount and... Well, what 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 has occurred in a lot of um, like tech companies these days is the is a new role called an operations role, and every department has their version of it. Like in research, they have the research ops role, in development they have DevOps, and and it's a fancy way of saying someone who makes sure that meetings are valuable. <laughs> yeah. But basically, they're they're making sure that we have fewer meetings and that everything is running without us having to have a meeting. Um, 
And I, it, I think it's symptomatic of a broken culture. A lot of people have talked about this, but like that we have forgotten why, which is why I think you're probably closer to the ideal than uh, than me. Well, I can tell you the shortcomings the of my model. So it, 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 having a distributed studio and having everything, as opposed to if I went all the way and I had my own factory with the machines and etc. I think there's something about having all the energy in one space all the time that would be pretty amazing. Um, yeah. But imagine, like you did tapestries too. Like imagine you couldn't work with an external manufacturer, so you had to buy a loom. Oh my God. You would go deeper in the production of it, I guess, because you would have the loom and you'd play with it yourself. I'd probably hire someone to help me figure out how to use it, though. Maybe yeah. not. Actually, but that's not true for software. So I would. It's another it anecdote of a. Two artists that I know, and I think this is the same in corporate as it is for artists, is you had a good show, uh, the show sold out, and all of a sudden you have this this uh, wad of cash because your income is so irregular. And it makes total sense to put everything back in your business. So you get a bigger studio and a couple of assistants, and then all of a sudden uh, you're so used to doing everything by yourself, and then you have to tell other people how to do it. So th this friend I know is kind of process-based sculpture, so... He wants no hand or emotion or gesture in the uh, manufacturing. He wants to be as dry and plain as possible. Mm -hmm. And then his team, he had six assistants. They were all trying to sort of put their own artistic identity into the gesture. And he's like, no, no, I just want it to be more scientific and, and uh, deadpan. And, and he just got rid of everybody after a year. And he, he spent so much money so quickly. So what I'm trying to say for artists is very tempting to be like, yeah, let's build a big factory but yeah. then the next year you don't sell as much or the next body of work isn't as yeah. easy to sell, but you still... So it's Payroll is usually your largest kind of cost and, and biggest risk in business. And yeah, mm -hmm. and in, in New York, studio space is very expensive. So it, it's very tempting to... And I think that's for any company. Like, oh, we had a good year. Let's expand, expand, expand. And mm -hmm. is that always the right choice? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the ways you can make it work, you know, if you're if you're looking at expansion is really to look at not do we need this person to replace some of the work that I'm doing that would cause burnout, but rather do we, would this person help us um, achieve a goal faster and more profitably? Right. So it's like, for example, if you're working in the art sector, probably if you're an artist, the first person you should write is someone who helps you get more grants or, or make more sales. But the, the, right? the word more is interesting here yeah. because it, it, it's so embedded in uh, our upbringing to uh, acquire wealth and hold on to money and, and all those things it, it makes total sense but it doesn't make sense within art no uh, yeah maybe not I'm trying to, I'm, I was just like blanket applying a business strategy to yeah but it, I think that business strategy is so deeply tied emotionally to survival and mm -hmm. so it's it's very hard to resist and that's how they uh, the whole supersize me idea in a fast food restaurant it's like oh only a dollar more and I get twice as many fries yeah. how can you say no to that well, um, like, I, I, and and, I think, and what what I'm yeah. trying to say is that for any artist, like Morandi is one of my favorite artists, and he just made the same still life his whole life. He wasn't like, oh, I sold a show, so now I should make bigger paintings, and I should make different topics that appeal to more people. So I'm gonna do wildlife, and then I'm gonna do uh, court scenes, and, and then, <laughs> you know, like this this idea of of growth growth over everything uh mm. it's it's so deeply embedded in us that you you have to resist it it's maybe a zero-sum game 
Well, it's 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 funny because I think as a viewer, I think you are very drawn to outsiders. You're not like, oh, I want to see the show by the biggest artist. Mm-hmm. That's not your character. So I, I I often speak to other artists who, in their viewing, are interested in the obscure, yeah. but in their own path, they want to be as big as possible. Yeah, I think you're making a good point, which is like, um, you know, regardless of meetings, meetings exist as a matter of operational growth and complexity. So let's take that assumption off the table. And then the purity of spirit of, of solo and individual expression of pure creative, like, uh, focus might result in the absolution of that need, right? Like we, we, <laughs> we created a false, well, um, in a, in a sense, the, the, the sort of the cliche of the modernist artist, uh, which I, I'm talking about before there were guilds and, and paintings. Abilities at the moment. Oh, sorry. Siri just said something. Sorry. Oh, thank you. She said it might be a might be beyond my abilities. At the yeah, moment, I think so. so. Thank, thank you, Sue. <laughs> I, I'm talking about maybe since the 1850s, whatever the the individual genius, which is also partly not true, whatever. But we're talking about artists making things by themselves and mm-hmm. the the benefits of that. And so that as a resistance to the general mo of the world, which is grow as fast as you can and make as much as possible. And is that always the best way? Like. I love some artists that make big collaborative projects, but it's not for everyone. Well, just to like um, counter slightly, you know, in in a corporate context, one of the ways that you can get back to that spirit that I've been successful with is you take a very very large project and you give people great great amount of autonomy over a part of it that's all their own. Like, let's just say you were figuring out a brand, you'd put someone in charge of the typography, you put someone in charge of the color. You put someone in charge of like, I don't know, photography or imagery or something like that. And you give them full autonomy to like go deep on that. And then they would meet with the other members who are owners of their particular craft area. And they'd say, hey, are these things working together? I think that, you know, that can be really useful in terms of like people becoming specialists within organizations to contribute to a greater whole. The the problem becomes if everyone's kind of doing a little bit of everything, which is my problem, honestly. I've done too many too, too often, I've tried to do a little bit of everything, and I need to be in every meeting, therefore. And that's like built on this ego of being like, well, I'm having the greatest possible influence over the direction of this huge ship. But actually, to be effective, as we spoke about in the last podcast, like you'd be much better off specializing. Like you could just become. It, like, yeah, it really depends on the person. Huh? Like uh, it, 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 I'm, I'm thinking yeah, of someone like uh, Seinfeld, uh, who is always kind of a, a promoter of, of stand up as a craft. Mm-hmm. And he likes the idea that there are no meetings. It's just you and your notebook, and you test the jokes on the audience. And if it works, it works. And that it's very organic, and it's not formal. There's no organization, as opposed to Hollywood production, where you might have 500 people working on a movie. Well, I was just watching this like really no, no, cheesy movie just, last just, night. Just no, 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 I'm with you. Okay, go but, for it. But, uh, but the the funny thing about Seinfeld, I think, is that. He was funnier in the sitcom than as a solo stand-up uh, comedian. I think there's there's a lot of comedians I prefer to him, but he was very funny in Seinfeld because he wasn't so funny. So he well, was I was going to say is because he was working with Larry David. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but there's something about him uh, in that context that he's a. Anyway, my point is that he's a promoter of the solo activity, but he's actually more effective in the group. So mm-hmm. it, I'm I'm trying to say that. Uh, 
you have to question for yourself, like, do I need more people to work with? And mm-hmm. you might not even be the best judge yourself. John, don't fire your staff. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think like you made a good point, which is like, so Seinfeld did have an independent creative practice, but he also, you know, learned to leverage the strengths of Larry David and the production team at Seinfeld, right? And arguably Seinfeld is a greater masterpiece than his individual or or equal to his individual stand-up work. Yeah, and Um, and one could not have been made without the other. Right. I was going to use the example of... um, I was watching uh, this really cheesy kind of movie, but it was kind of, I didn't know this about Elton John, but Elton John <clears throat> couldn't write his own songs. And uh, so he had a songwriter that he worked with, his, or he has worked with his entire career. And then he, but he could play any music or take any lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he wrote all the music and, but none of the lyrics, right? So, but together they were able to be something special, but he was the star. Yeah. There's someone in front, someone supporting and behind. Um, and that's going to be true in a lot of organizations where there's someone that's up front and then there's a lot of support, you know, behind the scenes and coordinating that support. I do think meetings function kind of well. I do want to get to some fun, like tech, you know, alternatives though, just cause like, I don't yeah, know. Bicycle meetings. I've heard of those. Oh, really? Like, okay, well, here's a few. Like, first of all, like the classic one is like the Bezos meeting, which is everyone arrives at the meeting and there there are sheets of, you know, there's like an essay at every seat in the meeting. So the equivalent would be in your inbox today in the well, same world. Yeah. But and, and, you do the and, and pre-read. Like, so there's a, the document goes out the day didn't ahead. Didn't you say that the pre-read uh, was cool in theory, but actually nobody reads it? Yeah, so no one reads this pre-read and you create a lot of material. Well, it's not that no one reads it. It's really that it it, this is, it it highlights as a symptom a greater rot in your organization because no one could possibly read all of the material that is produced by the organization. And therefore, the assumption becomes like, well, no one's reading it. But if it, that's a symptom of not the right people being you know organized in the right way. So like... You know, of course, you couldn't read thousands of pages. Like I, I, I produced like hundreds of pages of this pre-read material, and and then we get into the meeting, and it's like, okay, just give me like the executive summary. It's like, well, why did I produce this other thing, right? Yeah. Um, because it might be important to me and my team, like a, on a smaller level. So yes, no one reads it, but then certain people do read it, and that might be the value. Um, it really depends on. It's like similar to art. Like, who's your audience for this stuff? <clears throat> I will say though. If you the the purpose of a meeting should be on making a decision and discussion, it should not be on updates. And so, if you want to get around but, this problem of updates, the pre-read solves a lot because you can just list the yeah. updates and people. But the can other read them. thing that's interesting, we were talking about the COVID life and the work from home thing, and whether that's more efficient. Mm-hmm. And especially the hybrid model, once people are vaccinated, but some people moved away, so then you might have a meeting where three people are there in person and three people are on screen. Yeah. And you have the meeting, it's fine. But then the three people in person go and have a coffee and they actually have great ideas there. Well, this is the thing. You're, you're making a really, really great point that I wanted to get to eventually in this podcast. Maybe now is the time. But like this, I mentioned earlier this idea of creative versus update meetings. So some of the meetings that are the most frustrating for certain types of people <clears throat> are the most rewarding for other types of people. And so they, you know, can, people can fall into two different categories, but the creative meeting or so-called messy meeting or whiteboard meeting or collaborative workshop, whatever you want to call it, is one that is, I think, under discussed for its value. Because 
And I run a lot of these meetings. Um, and when I was like really, really close to designing, um, you know, the, the actual product, which I'm more and more close again, you know, you're, you're spending a lot of time in quote unquote brainstorms or ideation sessions, right? And being productive in these creative contexts is a fascinating area of discussion, you know, because I just mentioned it could be messy, but I've also really highly structured creative meetings before too, because we needed to get to a particular output in a short amount of time. For example, we've all been at a brainstorm meeting and it's like, we have to leave the room with a great idea, right? And that the pressure of leaving the shopping cart doesn't look good enough. We have to make it better. (laughs) Well, there's concepts like crazy eights. Have you ever heard of that one? No. Where it's like eight ideas in eight minutes and everyone actually works in silence um, to generate Mm. their eight ideas. And then they come together at the end of the meeting and they share all their ideas. It would work well on screen. It does. It works. It hits the mute button and then shares the screen. I've run, yeah, so during this whole pandemic period, I've run quite a few workshops where you do solo ideation in silent and then share as a group. What you can do is you can generate like a huge volume of creative energy that then allows you to make a, you know, there's convergence and divergence. So divergence is like, let's generate the most number of ideas and then converge is all about making a decision. What it allows you to do is see patterns in people's thinking and then to make an informed decision as a group. Um, so I, you know, I want to put that I, I out there. I would love to see the meetings where it's the Jeff Koons meeting, and once a year he lets the employees <laughs> have ideas, and he goes, "Thank you, we'll think about it." Yeah, I think and that's actually goes, a really that's a really good point, right? Like, but <laughs> but Jeff Koons might want to improve his operations. Who knows? Like, and that would yeah, that for sure. Them. But the, once a year he lets them have a creative freedom meeting, and he's like, "Okay, thank you." Yeah, the, the only reason away. this type of meeting is useful is if you want to get the most number of observations or points of view out on the table um, because you don't have an idea. Yeah, so Jeff Koons would be like, I've got ideas for the rest of my life, right? So yeah. um, he wouldn't need it. I mean, an artist could use it in context of their own practice to just not get too stuck on a single idea. I um, Yeah, it's funny because I've had a, a bunch of meetings with someone who's been trying to help me to make addition work. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's maybe my, my point about meetings is that a lot of things sound good in meetings, Mm -hmm. but for me with art making, it's such a deeply personal individual thing. So I had a meeting and they're like, it seems like there's a lot of young people that can't afford your work and we should do that. And And in theory, I agree, but then I'm trying to think of making a work that costs less to produce and then. It won't be as good as the big work. And then yeah. it, it occupies my mind for a long time. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want to make posters and yeah. shit. And, and I know I should, but I'm really more excited about making this or that work and make the ultimate version of the idea and not a compromised version. And then I'm thinking about it for half a year. And it, it's something that makes sense in words, but doesn't make sense intuitively. Well, what occurs to me is that you actually are in a meeting with yourself. Like, yeah, yeah. Continuously. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's you, true. Like if I looked at your calendar for 2022, I could predict what the meeting schedule would be too. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. But wakes it's, up, it's checks in but with But for you, <laughs> like you make work. You're like, why can't uh, socks be art? And then you make art for socks, and it makes yeah. sense in theory. But is it really a good medium for images? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm thinking conceptually about socks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but maybe my point is, in the arts, I think uh, a lot of decisions are made in meetings, in arts organizations. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that make sense in words, but don't make sense for the eyeball. So you say like, oh, we need to have more ABC, like these external goals that have nothing to do with art. 
Yeah. Uh, whatever those goals are, like we need to reach young people, uh, we need to make bigger works because the building is bigger, or wh- whatever banal external factor. And maybe those don't make sense to the artist. And so if if we're not making sense to the artist, then what are we? Why are you running an arts organization? Yeah, you're signaling though, like a meeting that you're having with yourself, and that is very rare in the corporate sector, but should shouldn't be. And there are books on this topic, um, which is like a meeting where there is expressed desire for conflict. So the only company I know that has uh, this uh, idea in, that that I can cite, like from case study, that's that works really well. You're gonna laugh out loud, like because this is not the company that we should model art careers after, but it's Johnson and Johnson. Um, who is a you know like medical supply company makes baby wipes and things they like that. They make Q-tips, right? Q-tips, all that stuff. Yeah. Maybe they'll bring us a vaccine. <clears throat> um, I think they're, <clears throat> they're further behind. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, Johnson Johnson. Where's that vaccine? But what they do is once a year, they invite the whole company to criticize and beat up their mission statement. So their mission and vision statements, which are kind of the sacred thing that no one is supposed to touch in a company. But by inviting it to be attacked, they... Yeah, this is where it gets crazy for me. Yeah, yeah, I thought it might be crazy. But what they're doing is they're saying like, hey, why are we all here? In like, period. Like, why do we exist? I think one one really clear example is Netflix is an entertainment company Mm -hmm. uh, or a software platform for video entertainment. So it's in their DNA to think about movies and TV shows. And then uh, uh, Amazon and Apple look at their bottom line and they're like, how can we expand our services revenue? Oh, we'll also be Netflix. But it doesn't make any sense for them. They're really good at making minimal electronics or a fast delivery of uh, home goods. The reason why they exist is just to generate profit for shareholders. And that's when a company typically goes And then you feel it when you're watching Apple TV. There's like two good things and the rest is whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is not what they're good at. Mm-hmm. This so is not. They're not. Uh, of course, they're good at making a, a phone, and they're not. They're not that good at uh, making entertainment. You're not watch, watching Dickinson. I mean, they're mostly just buying content right now. They're not making. Yeah, it, right? yeah, they're yeah. No but it's voice. funny because Apple always took pride in having such a minimal product line. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we we only have three devices, and that's all you need, and whatever. But that's not how entertainment works. It's like, oh, we need a bazillion shows. It's, I think it's very counter to what they are. Yeah, when Steve Jobs came back in the '90s, he famously cut the product line, like yeah, you know, the, by the ten. Qu- the qu- yeah, the, yeah, the quadrant <clears throat> of portable Pro- and pro professional and, consumer yeah. and portable and uh, desktop. Yeah, and so it was, it'd be funny if he went through the entertainment. It's like, okay, we have educational shows and we have fun shows, and there's only one show for everyone, and <laughs> it's the best show. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what Jobs would have to say about like the sprawling empire of Apple. I mean, yeah. it, this stuff is usually just the pressure of company growth expectations. Yeah, but so I, I think in companies it makes total sense. It's like uh, growth, growth, growth. But for artists, I, uh, and, and that's maybe relevant to this question of meetings, because if you have a meeting, it's in the nature of everyone in the meeting to preserve their position. No one's yeah. going to be like, you know what, we should get rid of my department. Well, how many meetings are about like what do we want to do next? Well, it's like maybe we just do what we're doing right now a little bit better, you know? Yeah, that's uh, like the sushi chef model. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think uh, the Jiro sushi chef has a lot of meetings where he goes like, "Oh, we should put make pineapple sushi." And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this year is has been a hard year for a lot of um, 
people, uh, especially those who were let go. And when I can tell you, like transparently, the conversations around COVID were it was like everyone thought all business was just going to like evaporate. We were in for a severe economic depression. The conversations were like in meetings were like, what do we need to do to survive? They were it was kind of horrible. And it was for about a month, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, to your, if if you're like, you know, you're kind of asking for that, which is like, okay, well, what is the reason? Why do we need to be here? What is the most, you know, have we have we have we gone too far in terms of expansion and yeah, the, our, the trim the fat argument. Yeah, yeah, it's the trim the fat argument. I will say that um, I don't know. Most of the decisions we made were regrettable. Like there are a few exceptions. Um, and it didn't take long for things to get back to where they were, and they were no longer like super vital. Um, I just think that companies go through cycles of, you know, and if we get back to the meeting of being confused about what's important, um, you know, and a lot of there's a, they'll bring in a you know corp, a lot of companies will bring in a corporate coach at some point or whatever, but you'll hear it from the employees first, and they'll say like, we just don't have a vision or strategy. I was talking to a friend at Netflix. Um, this week he gave me a call and we were chatting and he's like, he was laughing out loud because he's like, you know, we have lots of friends in different tech companies. And he's like, the one thing that's consistent at all these companies is like, everyone is like, we have no strategy (laughs) 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 or we have no vision. Those those are the two most concurrent problems. I think what it is is if the organization is a pyramid of power and there's one person at the top, but that person is too busy to think of the strategy. Yeah. And then everyone below, whatever they say, if you stick your neck out, it's a risk. So people tend to not want to take risks and be like, oh, I just want to... I always talk about this with people. Most people are up to their neck. They're like sinking in, in uh, mortgages and, and the school costs for the children and whatever. It's all they can think of all day. It's just like, just get me through the day so I can make the next payment. Oh, like, yeah. That seems to me like the general, anyone in the meeting is not actually thinking about strategy. They're just like, but even in the I don't want to stand out today yeah. and I don't want to lose my job. I was watching this video just before we got on this. I was like, let's see what people are saying about meetings. And I, I saw something from the CEO of Stripe. Stripe is like a um, credit card kind of API that Processing, most, yeah. Yeah, most of the internet runs on. Um, and the, she was really interesting because she was like, she delineated between types of people in meetings. She's like, there are those creative types. And, you know, we love them, but they're always taking the meeting sideways. <laughs> and then there are the operators, people like me. And we're just like, what is the decision we need to get made, right? And inherent or implicit in her, um, in, in, that, in that statement was this idea that the creative person is actually dragging down the success of the organization. And then she said, so for those people, she's like, and then she she clarified that these people were the founders. She's like, the founders are going and ins- would go insane if we just had these well operated meetings. So we created a meeting for them once every six weeks, which is a creative meeting where they can just be messy and think out loud, and they love it. It brings them tons of energy. And then, I, it, like all I could think to myself was, wait a second, these are the people who generated the yeah, concept. Yeah, it's like she's babysitting them. <laughs> <laughs> but they're the what the reason you exist, right? Like yeah. the only, and I've experienced this in my own life, where the founder uh, or where the person that really understands the customer and why we're here. That sounds a lot like a successful artist that at some point, uh, well, people really like this type of work, so just make that. 
Well, I think that there's maybe different cycles to a company too, or an organization where where they need certain types of energy, like where they need that creative energy, and then they don't for a while. Or yeah. the the consensus is, well, we just need to increment or improve this slightly. But you and I, we're like revolution all the time. Where's the next revolution coming from? Right? Like, um, or maybe well, we're there, not. There, there like, is that. Uh, I think a lot of artists when they're in school, they worry that if you become a professional artist, you can only make one thing the rest of your life, and there's a pressure to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, Yeah, like just create dot paintings for the rest of your life? Yeah, but I think it, it's a fine line, because also the audience gets bored, so they want to be refreshed, but they also want something reliable, so maybe McDonald's has it down, like they have their steady menu, and then they have the McRib every now and then. Yeah, you got to well you got to entice people to come back and see what's up. I mean, yeah. I think one one thing that's rare about you and I and about any artist that's spent more than um 10 years as a practicing artist is it's very hard to sustain a career over multiple decades. The reason is that people are like, yeah, I've already seen that. I know what that's about, right? So it's like I already know I've seen all the Marvel movies. I don't need to see another one. So you have to, you know, at a certain point you're like, well, what could I do to, you know, re-engage an audience that is, would Is are the Marvel numbers going down? The viewing numbers? I don't know why I brought that up, except that they brought all of the production in-house for Disney Plus recently. Yeah. And so they're like kind of doing a, a reboot, uh, like a clean OS <laughs> kind yeah. of thing, yeah. where for, for television shows anyways, they're, they're producing it all within their own studio uh, complex versus franchising out. And so I think there's a narrative, I was reading there's like a narrative reset. And then I was watching this WandaVision show. This is like harkening back to last year's version of this podcast. But have you seen this WandaVision? On I Disney saw the Plus? trailer that they made something that looks like a 50s sitcom and it's all about being a weirdo in the suburbs. Yeah, but you'll see the show and you'll be like, this is so... I, Kristen didn't think it was high concept, but I was like, it's so high concept, it's lost touch with like what television is. But oh. um, Because you watch the first two episodes and it's legit just like a, a spoof of a 50s sitcom. I without, but there's like no injection of like, why am I watching a 50s sitcom? And there's no yeah, superhero like, action. No, not really. No. There's like little I Love Lucy gags. I enjoyed it because I'm like, what are they doing? Like this, <laughs> someone just wrote a blank check and we're in the streaming world now and like anything's possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I digress. Like, I think that they're trying to reinvigorate, um, you know, a franchise. It is funny that uh, I think maybe my work seems like I, I'm very um, efficient with my thoughts and then when we do the podcast it, it's exactly like what you were saying about those creative meetings where you just go from one thing you to don't know the where other. you're gonna end up yeah yeah but it, i mean there's a lot of um study on this like i i love the the mit like bell labs um harry nyquist story i think i've told it in previous versions of the podcast but like you know bell labs in the 1960s produced more innovations per capita than any other group of people yeah. in the history yeah. of humankind. And yeah, yeah, the yeah. only attribution was to one human being that like had a habit of um, being like great at hosting lunch in the cafeteria, this guy, Harry Nyquist, and bringing people together um, socially to exchange ideas, not with any purpose at all, except to enjoy each other's company. And this is the one thing I think we stripped everything away from a meeting. You know, most meetings are actually horrible because you don't like the people, you don't like the topic, you don't like the decision. You feel powerless, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, but so if do, you're, do you as artists, we have the opportunity to create our the own meetings. Amount of meetings at work. Do I what? Do you actively reduce the amount of meetings? Are you constantly like, yeah, hey, do we I'm need con- this? 
Yeah, and constantly regrooming. I think what you need to do is refocus on who are you, who are you, why are you here, what is your value to the organization, truly, without ego. And I think my sister was kind of giving me this lecture over the the break because I was anxious about a couple of things, and she's like, "Look, whatever decisions you make have to be egoless. They have to be tied to like what actually brings you energy, not your to your point earlier, your the accumulation of growth or capital for the sake of of it." Um, yeah, because the, the the irony is that. Uh, let's say that you, you're a poet, and then uh, you, your book did well, and you're like, "I'm going to get an assistant." Yeah. And then the assistant is in the room, and you can't think of poetry anymore because you're used to doing that by yourself. That's that's what I mean. Like it, that's a very extreme example. But or maybe you get an assistant, and and you, it, suddenly you're like hypercharged, and it's like you're bouncing ideas off of each other, and it really works. But yeah. it has to be right for you. Um, and in the case yeah. of an organization, that's and, much and, harder to negotiate. I, I would I would tell any organization that, and especially cultural organizations, the the idea of growth and having lots of audience sometimes is not the best. Like, why would you, if you agree as a society that uh, some things are not for the mainstream and therefore they need to be subsidized, why would you apply market logic to those things then? And why do you yeah. want it, the example is that in the Netherlands. Uh, most museums are funded at least 50 or 70% by the state. And then they want to see large visitor numbers. And therefore, what the organizations start to do is they get blockbuster shows. They get uh, Matisse or Vermeer or like yeah. famous artists. And they end up being so expensive that they lose a lot of money on those shows, much more than a, a show of younger artists that is not so well visited. Mm-hmm. Because the insurance costs and the production costs and the marketing costs are so high, they're like, we're doing these blockbuster shows and we're getting a lot of visitors, but we're, it's actually costing us the state more. It is interesting to think about why the museums were founded in the first place, though. Yeah, yeah. But so um, the, I think back to the idea of meetings, I think it's so natural in meetings to always be like, all right, social media team, how many clicks did we get? We need more. All right. Uh, how many visitors did we have? We need more. Okay. Uh, building. We need to build a bigger building. We need more. No, but and, yeah, like yeah. I, I think one of the weird things that you just triggered in me, if we break that to meetings, and John's question in particular is like, unfortunately, the reason a lot of museums were founded were as displays of colonial kind of accumulation treasures. That, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, look at we look how great we are. Look at our conquerors. Look at our looting. Look yeah. How, yeah, look what we looted on our last trip that you invested in. <laughs> Um, now for John, like, you know, indigenous curator at a major Canadian art gallery, like he actually, and his group and organization probably exists to like, uh, decolonize or devolve, like devolve that model and regenerate a new model. And for him, I guess, and for his staff, let's not get their mission, like sorted out for them, but like, they have a really interesting, um, problem, which is like, how do they, um, how do they generate a new purpose? Like within any... Like there's so many museums now, and how so do you measure many. that purpose? Because if, yeah. if if your if if your purpose is different than, uh, uh, it, I think the example of Bell Labs is relevant here, and and the the innovator's dilemma that book always comes up. But the idea that in Japan and Sony they made the most inventions when they weren't focused on efficiency, mm-hmm. so they invented the Walkman and other things, and at some point they got all these experts from Harvard Business School, and they're like, we need more profit. Can you guys make us more profitable? And so the operations people came in and they said, okay, cut these creative meetings, get those wackos out of here, and let's focus on uh, the production line. 
Yep. And in the short term, they made more profit, but now they're stuck and uh, other people are doing the innovation and they lost their mojo. So th that's the weird thing about measuring. Like, what are you measuring? Well, the creative people eventually are viewed as those that, that, that pull things down. Like I said, the, the, that Stripe CEO. Yeah, get to the point. Or CEO. God damn it. Yeah. But I think that there's this formula that organizations now kind of use and why she probably resigned that they needed to do these meetings every six, week, um, six weeks. And by the way, she stated that they should be off-site, which is like a very funny meeting cliche, which is there's yeah, the meeting... Yeah, at, at the creative daycare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's the meeting that happens in the corporate office. And that's not a place for creativity, my friends. And then there's <laughs> the quote-unquote off-site. That's where anything's possible because we're not tied to the... Well, burden of yeah. our in about the walls of this organization of course we're biased to say that uh, creativity is is profitable in the long run so we'll, we'll try to find evidence of that but maybe they well, can I know have it's not. other data I know, points I, I can provide examples of it not being like you know we redesigned our product from the ground up it, it was a call to replatforming and we decided to bring creative lens to everything like let's re-examine it all let's redo it all let's think really creatively about this what are numbers yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are buttons you know but I, <laughs> I and i did lead those exercises and some of them legitimately evolved the product but we've been migrating a lot of our most loyal old customers from the old platform to the new platform and on calls you know i've had these phone calls with some folks and 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 videos sent to me and all kinds of things they're like what were you thinking <laughs> like how like stupid were you to do it this way and you know but then you you're basically in a meeting with your audience and so that's a meeting with a million people it's really tough. It's really tough. Um, I mean, the best example is the episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets to design a car. The Homer car? Mm -hmm. Did you see that episode? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what a Tesla is. It's a Homer car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, oh, a, a funny anecdote about uh, time management. Jeremy likes to do the show notes. I think he came up with it, and I'm like, oh, that's a lot of work. You have to listen to the episode at half speed, so that's at least two hours of link searching and listening to your own voice. <laughs> I'm like, if you want to do it, go ahead, but I'm not doing it. And so yeah, you did I promised it for, it for the last episode. <laughs> and, and you did it for a while, and then the reason we stopped, because I always edit the show within an hour of recording and send it to Jeremy, and I'm like, did you listen to the episode? Did you do it? And then five days later... <laughs> I can't upload the show, and I'm like, "Well, this is not helpful." So that that that's a very good example of like, yes, it it adds value to the episode, but, but if the yeah. episode uh, is a week late and there's another question that's more relevant before yeah. that, it it gets in the flow of the show. So yeah, I know you're right, and it, and unfortunately, yeah. what I've done is like I've fit this podcast now into. Sundays at a particular between certain hours, and I actually don't have time after that. Um, so then I'm trying to squeeze it into extra time, but everyone, you know, there's tons of other things I'm trying to squeeze in, and so that's what happened. Well, you so I apologize, I didn't get show notes. Yeah. You know what? The way show notes are going to work is it'll be a surprise if they show up. <laughs> 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 but, but I did add an email address to our website for questions, and if there's anything that you want additional information on, or context, or resources for, Here's what I can offer is on-demand show notes, which is if there's any mm. every, anything you need clarification on if, at if, all, just yeah, email if, that address. If we mispronounce something and you're like, what was that movie they were talking about? Then, uh, yeah, yeah. I might I might squeeze in a movie review episode every now and then. There's, there's yeah. one movie I've, I've really been wanting to review with you, uh, the Demolition Man. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah, right. The Taco Bell of the future. It's amazing. Yeah, and this <laughs> idea that you get to 
a peaceful society and then if there's a, a disruptor what do you do and it kind of feels like the the world we're living in now at, at the same time and yeah yeah so yeah that's one of those movies where i'm afraid to go watch it in because i have such fond memories of seeing it yeah. and being like that's the future <laughs> you, you know the the director is marco brambilla the, uh-huh. but he's also a video artist so he, he was kind of uh-huh. a movie director first and then he directed video games and then he went to video art but um, I always thought you made Demolition Man. Why are you messing around with video art? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, we, maybe we can do a Demolition Man. Maybe there's a, a question <laughs> that will make sense for us to combine it. Yeah, uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if we should do. If this was a meeting, we should do a recap of the decisions <laughs> that we made and um, and leave with everyone. Leave the meeting with a set of tasks. Like everyone should know what action. they're doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, why? Are, what are we gonna do? What's well, one I guess, thing we're all I guess gonna we do both, when we leave uh, this meeting? We're sort of thinking about uh, reducing meetings and questioning the value of meetings, but I don't know if that's much of a call to action. And and and, and I think for, one. I think one is like, what is the one meeting you you would keep for anything in the world that's in your schedule, and then start there, and then work. But your it's way interesting back the point you brought of the meeting with yourself, and that's the the self-doubt of the artist. And so you should also reduce those meetings. <laughs> That's right. The meeting with like yourself. Get out of your own way and just make stuff and don't worry about it. I have had this conversation a million times on this podcast with you, but in the real world as well. And it's one of the most aggravating things, but it's also something that causes me anxiety when I encounter someone that doesn't agree with it. But I have learned more from being wrong, like just making something and reacting, getting reactions to it, either from myself or others than I have ever from planning and considering, over-considering anything. And so, yeah, just get started. Uh, take your first step. And the ego has no place in um, learning. And so you will eventually, get, you know, you need an ego to take the first step. Like, you have to be have confidence. But, you know, being protective of your ideas later, ugh, it's terrible. And in meetings, that is the worst. Like, people defending, <laughs> oh my god, was my I was in a meeting idea. this week. I was in a meeting this week where someone's like, no, 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 but we're going to get it right. No, no, don't, don't, don't criticize it. And I'm like, fuck, this is ridiculous. Like, it's fucked up. It's shit. This is shit work. And that's fine. Like, whatever we do next is going to be better. You know, this idea that a meeting, everything hangs in the balance on a meeting, like, yes or no, like, fuck that. Like, no. just, just do, do work with people that are great. And uh, good things will happen. And that I will say, good. like, you can, you can use a meeting to do work. I do that all the time. Like, I actually sit down with uh, our CEO. We have a one and a half hour meeting every week, where we, all we do is we sit and we work on a particular project that we're working on together, a vision-based project. Whatever happened to golf? Huh? I think millennials don't do that anymore. Like the, that, yeah. that was the way business deals were done. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You but could now go, the I mean, attention span of, of, of young people is not there for golf, I think. I can't really support golf from an ecological standpoint, but I think from no. a, you know, like the but concept uh, of golf, uh, which is like... Maybe we can bring up as a little bonus the weird uh, Silicon Valley meeting format so i think steve jobs was a fan of the walking meeting yeah oh i didn't get to that so i started with the maybe Bezos even barefoot the and i've heard i do I've, wa- it's not yeah. confirmed that people have bicycle meetings where they go in a circle with bicycles and talk to each other <laughs> the walking meeting i can highly promote I, before the pandemic 90 i would say 60 to seven maybe 60 to 75 percent actually of my meetings were walking meetings and they're very very good at reducing but what's anxiety. the maximum amount of people for a walking meeting oh no one only one other person okay 
And for one-on-ones, it's great. What are other funny... Funny types of meetings? Yeah. Well, there's the of brainstorming meeting that we talked about with beanbags and all of the this ridiculous... Like, whoever you, you hired as a facilitator is going to bring in squeeze toys for you all to, <laughs> to chew on. I think if you're creative, like, it's... You're like, what is this? This is ridiculous. But it's to break people out of the mold that meetings should be run out of a spreadsheet. They don't need to be run out of a spreadsheet, right? Like, you can run a meeting in a cave with, you know... I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you seem to me like a person who loves meetings. I loved studying it because I've seen it go really well, and I've but seen. But you it go love terrible. hanging out with people, and you love talking. And look, here's the thing about meetings: that the one thing, one takeaway is that every meeting needs a facilitator, and meetings live or die by the energy and enthusiasm of that facilitator to make sure that they everyone leaves the room with a decision or with an action, and. I have spent a lot of my career facilitating um, confidence and creativity. And I, I, I do believe that like people coming together, it can work really well. I have worked with the polar opposite and have seen how I can end the day feeling like I've achieved nothing and that I'm valueless and people feel terrible about themselves and they're angry and resentful. And sometimes I've even caused those outcomes and it is horrendous so it's like anything else that you can have a good performance the orchestra can play well and the orchestra can have um a really bad day so yeah just, but the, you need but a conductor I'm, I'm i'm sorry to, to go into the make this podcast longer than it should be like a meeting but it, <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, there's different types of people and some people want to be left alone with a sketchbook and come up with the ideas for the new uh, yes there are introverts buttons. and extroverts in meetings for sure yeah and it's maybe something we could talk about briefly because it, um, what I've noticed is that the idea of the open office was there to encourage collaboration and so that everybody, without meetings, just organically, you know what everyone's up to. Yep. But in reality, most people work on the screen and have headphones on and don't only talk to each other on chat, so they might as well not be there. And yeah, like a large, the largest kind of portion of meetings that I've ever run uh, that are of creative variety have had this problem at their core, and that's why like solitary ideation is best practice um, because in group conversations where it's the loudest voiced or highest po- paid voice that that um, that that wins the decision making, like in ideation that just doesn't function because it makes everyone else feel stupid and like useless, and so. Yep. You have to give people creative space to themselves, and then you have to bring it together. And then you also have that, that facilitator, the person I mentioned, like that is actively working against the loudest person in the room. Yeah, and uh, you're even calling on people like, "Hey, Raphael, what did you think of the decision we just made?" You I, I remember reading the Steve Wozniak uh, autobiography. Uh, he was the the engineer half yeah, of the founder Apple. of Apple. Mm-hmm. The the book is called "I Was W O Z." It's a funny title. Uh, but he talks about that he really hated telling other people what to do. He just wanted to invent stuff, be in a room and invent stuff. So he found Steve Jobs as this promoter of ideas and who would take care of creating the myth and uh, being strict with people and uh, dealing with money. And he just wanted to invent stuff. Yep. And he was lucky that he found someone who was quite a, sort of like a parent who keeps the world uh, at bay and... Um, Maybe that goes back to that Stripe conversation where that they see the creatives as children that should be left alone. I mean, have you ever noticed, I, ugh, we're getting to many, many final thoughts, but have you ever noticed that, and this is like, it's anti-inclusive in a way, but groups of people who love hanging out together end up creating, you know, the most 
uh, impact. So like in music, a band that likes each other produces way better music than one that doesn't. Mm. It's the reason corporate retreats exist, but relationships really do matter to the production of a meeting. Like conflict and people on phones or laptops or or just like things going wrong. If no one wants to be there, part of it is the people in the room don't want to be around each other. Well, right? that's 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 the argument also that you can't just throw more people at the problem. Exactly. If, yeah. You're just adding more personal dynamics, more relationships. Yeah. So I often reduce meetings down to two or three people well, and then suddenly they're more away. successful. Yeah. 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 Because who needs to be there? Everyone needs to be contributing that's in the room. Um And the most successful meetings are between people who are all focused on a goal together that really care about one another's success and that trust each other. And, and one of the things that comes up now is that a lot of artists become artists because they don't want to be in meetings. That is really a big motivator. Totally. Because totally. it's, so, so, it's so horrible. It's such a tax on the universe. Yeah. But then when you think about it, uh, when you start to apply organizational structures to the idea of art, and it's basically all these people who don't want to be in an organization... Uh, That's a tough one to figure out. Like, like the idea of a museum is a lot of people who are don't want to be in corporate world, and then all of a sudden the corporate logic is applied, and then the corporate meetings are applied. And the well, know. I'm always amazed that like you know gangs are successful um, <laughs> because like, and then I met a gang leader. Uh, he participated in an event that I was working on, and I was like, holy, holy mother! Like this guy is like incredible at running meetings. <laughs> <laughs> He's making everyone feel like they're heard, but he's still making yeah, like decisions. Yeah, like he led a chant with us. We, you know, we, we did this before we went out on stage for something. But he was just like he was such he was so much the glue that brought us all together. So yeah. I don't. I, I I've learned over and over and over again that like trust and relationships are at the center of of greatness and everything, and that's where you should start. But yeah. Um, And that's how we've done this podcast for so long, <laughs> just like being totally different. Like this is a, a, an hour-long meeting every Sunday with no agenda except to explore an idea. And I, I, I really treasure it. So thanks for... It's the creative baby time. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. thanks for our list to our listeners. Thanks to John, especially for sending yeah, in a question. Yeah, great question. We have, another, we have a couple other questions, I think, in the queue, but we're, we're looking for, um, for questions from you, our listeners, um, on any topic. It actually does not have to be related to creativity, to management, to business... We could talk about ice cream, right? We could probably... What is it a comedian should... Well, Seinfeld said a, a glass of water. That's a good... Yeah. You know, we could talk I, about that. I think that. whatever question uh, we like, we answer. I, I'm, I'm not going to answer questions I feel uncomfortable with. Like, uh, oh, yeah. 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 Like, so, um, well, let's not mention what they are because... <laughs> 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 yeah. No, but even if they're not fun, if it doesn't seem fun to answer, why would Yeah, I we answer? do reserve... It, that's an important thing, too. We should be clear. We do, And this is true in meetings, too. We should be clear who is the decision maker. And Raphael is the decision maker in that particular context. And so, well, we're going to decide together. No, like, both there'll, there'll be occasions where I don't yeah. want to answer certain questions either. Yeah. Okay. Hey, one last thing on the meeting grooming thing. Any team that's meeting, you should have what's called a team charter or team canvas. Uh, look it up, team canvas. But it'll, it'll give you a lot of sense... Um, It'll answer everything I've talked about and Raphael's talked about will fit into a little neat little block, which will frustrate Raphael. But, you know, there's certain questions you have to ask yourself. And I think we asked the, the, the most important one at the beginning, why? So why are we doing uh, the audience questions? Because we care about you, our listeners, but we also are bored to death. We, we ran out of our own questions. We ran yeah. out of our own questions, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening and I uh, hope to hear from you all uh, soon. Have a... Have a great, Have a great week. weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.